Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and happy you're listening. Well, I don't know if you've been watching the markets and listening to what some people are talking about, but things are getting a little dicey. The The Fed is getting very aggressive with rates and it's it's starting to, you know, have some damage effects on the economy. And the jobs number comes out tomorrow. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that jobs number because uh, the market is was soft today. It ran up. It opened up. It ran up and then sold off the whole day. And that is, generally speaking, very bearish. And so I want to talk a little bit uh, about the market, about the market psychology, and just to kind of help some of you out there that might, you know, be wondering what to do or, uh, and, and this isn't really investment advice. I'm just, I just want to let you know what you're dealing with in, in your own head. A lot of times when, um, we get one of these market sell-offs, uh, there's a psychology. In fact, some of you may already be going through it. You may be thinking, wow, you know, I wish I had sold, you know, a month ago when I was thinking about it or two months ago, whenever I was thinking about it. And now the market's down another 12% or whatever it is. And, you know, this is, this is what happens though in the, in the market. You, your, your mind uh, plays tricks on you. You'll, you'll tell yourself things like, well, if it, if it'll just bounce back up, I'll get out. And then what happens, a lot of times the market will bounce back up, but then you don't get out. And, and then it goes down another 15%. And you're like, man, and you're beating yourself up. And this is just the way kind of things go. So I just want to, I just want to caution you uh, for getting into that cycle. You know, uh, try to be decisive. Uh, if you're going to make a move, be decisive. You know, make a decision uh, and stick with it until the market shows you that the storm is passed or whatever. Um, so today I've got a I've got a clip from Maria Bartiromo's show um, where they're talking about uh, Fed Chairman Powell and there's a guy on there named Larry McDonald and he used to trade on the Lehman floor and I don't know he's got he's got kind of an interesting insight that I thought that I thought would be worth talking about in the context of this market. Um, you know, traditionally, there's always been this competition between uh, bonds and stocks. So generally speaking, if if bonds are making a lot of money, uh, you know, the yields are high and bonds are going up, let's say, then stocks, you know, capital will tip, typically flow out of stocks and into bonds. And then vice versa, if, if, if bonds start to go down in value and the yields start to fall, that capital will flow out of bonds and into stocks. Now, the bond market is much, much larger than the stock market, but there's still this kind of relationship there. 
And for a while now, a long time, um, the correlation between stocks and bonds have gone in the same direction. Uh, that is to say, you know, the market's been going up and the bond market's been going up. Um, or at least it hasn't been going down, let's say. And what we're starting to see is that flip again. So we're starting to see where there's an inverse correlation between stocks and bonds. And he, this guy kind of touches on that. And I'll fill in some blanks for you, but it could very well be the catalyst that drains uh, a lot of capital from the stock market and sets off a wave of selling. So let's uh, kick off that interview, and then I'll break in and talk about some of the things that he's talking about to kind of fill in the blanks. And I think it might be helpful for some of some of you to think about, you know, how to preserve your capital because when 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 you get one of these big sell-offs. And I think we could be on the eve of one. You know, it's all about preserving capital. Think of the bear market as a big train, you know, just barreling down the tracks. And the last place you want to be is on those tracks. So it just makes a lot of time, a lot of sense sometimes to just step off the tracks, especially if you're a relatively small investor. You know, if you got a lot of money spread out over, you know, a bunch of different places, Maybe it's not so practical for you to just step off the tracks, but um, certainly if you're someone who's just got you know fifty or a hundred thousand dollars or even really you know two hundred thousand dollars, it's very easy just to take your chips off the table like you're like you're in a casino and just uh, go have a drink, you know, uh, while the table's cold. So let's play this interview with Maria Bartiromo. She's talking to this guy, Larry McDonald. He's an ex-Lehman guy, and he has a, um, a, a company or a, a service or something called Bear Trap or something. Anyway, let's, uh, let's play it, and, and I'll break in and comment on it. The latest economic data have come in stronger than expected. If the totality of the data were to indicate <clears throat> that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. So let me start with just, you know, what is the market? You know, the market is um, uh, a place where uh, companies uh, get capital to invest in their businesses to expand them. And these are some of the most successful companies in our country, right? And so what it, what it tends to do is it tends to reflect our collective uh, standard of living or productive capacity. And that's why over time, over the very long run, the stock market goes up because it's it's really a reflection of how productive we are as people together. Now, there are times though where, especially in a in a market where we have credit expansion just all the time by the government, there are times when credit is expanded too far, uh, the market gets a little overheated. There's uh, investment in lines of production that are unsustainable. Um, consumers aren't buying certain lines of production. And it's, there's this effect that kind of happens where the market has a bunch of misallocated capital. capital. And, and it responds by, you know, by selling off. Okay. Now, 
the thing about Chairman Powell and, and government data and things like that, this is always in the rearview mirror. And the, the market has this uncanny ability to kind of predict what's going to happen six months from now. So if the market really sells off hard, what it's telling you is that about six months from now, the economy is going to be in the toilet. Uh, now, maybe we're not there yet. One key indicator is to look at like a, a 50-day moving average. Uh, the 50-day moving average, anytime the market gets below the 50-day moving average, potentially uh, there's, a, there's a liquidation break or there's a, a larger sell-off. So just know that people like Chairman Powell, he's talking about the economy, and he's looking in the rearview mirror at data. And this data doesn't really help us with what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or even next month. So just keep that in mind when you listen to these government people talk about the data. Well, it's kind of like uh, he's overcooking the goose. Um, you know, they're playing catch up. And while they were doing quantitative easing in 2021, uh, inflation started to rage. And now they're trying to catch up. Our, Maria, our 21 Lehman systemic risk indicators that look at equity and credit point to the, one of the highest probabilities of a crash in the stock market looking out 60 days. Wow, 60 days? You're saying you're going to see it? We're going to see a crash in the stock market within 60 days? Yes, because um, the the withdrawal of capital from the middle class families is so spectacular. Uh, for every one percent increase, now, a lot of these economists and Wall Street people they throw around, oh, the Fed's hiking basis, you know, 100 basis points, 50 basis points. The bottom line is, for every one percent increase in rates, and we've done almost five percent now. Uh, every 1% takes $50 billion out of the pockets of middle-class families. Uh, auto loans right now are approaching 14%. Almost 20% of auto loans are 1000 a month. And so the middle-class families are getting hammered here. And so the consumer pressure is you know, violent. Something that all these Wall Street types understand is that the consumer really can't buy anything anymore without buying it on credit. It doesn't matter if it's a washing machine or a refrigerator or an automobile or a home improvement project. I mean, there's even a lawnmower. I mean, everything is bought on credit. And as these as the cost of credit begins to go up, that that cost is is borne by the the middle class largely. Um, people used to not buy things like lawnmowers on credit. You used to not buy a washing machine on credit. But what's happened is these things have um, become ridiculously expensive, actually, these, these uh, durable goods. And they're not as good as they were you know, 15 years ago, maybe even only 12 years ago. I mean, you can go buy a brand new washing machine today from Whirlpool, okay? I know because I've done it. And you, you're you going to be lucky if you get six years out of it. Um, and, and it's just interesting, you know, because all these companies are talking about sustainability and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, what's so sustainable about putting a 4x4x4 box, steel box, in your local landfill after six years? You know, I don't see any sustainability in that, really. But the bottom line is these things are getting tremendously expensive 
And nobody buys any of this stuff without buying it on credit. And the, the fact is, uh, the cost of credit is becoming more and more expensive. And at, at the same time, by the way, that food and energy and uh, insurance and all the things that you know, you're just not quite poor enough to do without, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's one of my complaints all the time is like, you know, I'm not quite poor enough to just go without insurance, you know? Um, and I'm, and I'm not quite, you know, well off enough to be able to afford it. And, and that's where a lot of people are. A lot of people are in this kind of no man's land where they're getting squeezed by the cost of things and by the just just the sheer number of, of things that are drawing on their bank account every month. You know, you, you tend to run out of uh, money before you run out of month. And this is happening to everybody, okay? It's just that the people in the middle and the lower ends of the income scales are really feeling it. But on, on the high end, you know, the, the wealthy are doing well with excess savings and higher interest rates. Yeah, well, look, I'm glad you brought up rates because we're talking about the two-year above 5% today. Mortgage rates, uh, just out moments ago, the 30-year fixed rate up again now to 6.79% last week. I mean, Larry, the last time we saw mortgage rates shoot up this way, we saw real demand destruction. People were walking away from their mortgages. A new Fannie Mae survey finds Americans are pessimistic about their personal financial outlook. 31% of Americans said that they expect their personal finances to improve over the next year. But that's the lowest reading since 2010. Interest rates are a real important part of the economy. They're, they're another price. Prices in the economy are the things that we use to determine value and, and, and what we're going to take action on. And interest rates are another price. And, um, you know, it's, it's these, these, Interest rates have a huge impact on uh, borrowing, uh, specifically like anytime. Well, let me just back up. Anytime you borrow money, okay, you're you're basically pulling some of your spending forward to to spend money on something today, but that you'll have to pay for it at some point in the future. And if you've done a lot of this. And now you're, you know, all the payments that you make on things, you're just barely getting by. And then something like inflation whacks you really hard. It just makes everything that much more difficult. Uh, for example, you know, maybe, maybe you bought a house for $350,000, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. And now that house is like $600,000, let's say. Well, your taxes are higher on it. Your insurance is higher on it. Maybe you need a new roof. You know, what happens is when we have something like dishonest money and, and the government can just print up money the way it does, it, it benefits from that, right? Because it's, it's driving up your asset prices, which they then tax. But then that drains money from your household. Um, and if you've borrowed a lot of money on top of that, you're just running out of money quicker. And if your income hasn't gone up to keep up with the pace, then you're in, in pretty short order, you're going backwards. And that's just the mechanics of it. It's just, a, it's just how it works out. 
Larry, before you get into what we're looking at in terms of rates and the impact, I want to bring Adam Johnson in here because he's on the other side of this trade. Adam, you're not expecting yeah. a recession. No, I'm not expecting a recession. And, and my argument is that the two E's of earnings and employment. Employment's at an all-time high. And earnings, while not stunning, are better than field, uh, feared. And revenues are actually rising 5%. Larry, I'm curious. You, you made the comment that there's some sort of pending crash coming up in, in 60 days. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty Within bold statement. Days. I mean, So I'm taking Larry's side on this thing. You know, this other guy, he's looking at data. He's looking at employment data in earnings and i can just tell you those are those are past numbers uh, they don't tell you anything about what future is going to be and the reality is um the market is a pretty good um indicator of what what's likely going to happen now this guy larry i think has a better thesis too and he's going to cover it here in just a minute so i don't want to spoil it do you really believe that your, your indicators are, are, are right and that there's some sort of crash when you have the most amount of people ever making the most amount of money, ever spending the most amount of money ever, and it's translating into earnings that, uh, while not stellar, are, are enabling revenues to actually rise? Go ahead, Larry. Well, remember, um, if you have $10 million in the stock market two years ago, you're flat. Okay, so there's a lot of people that have had money in the market for a long time, all these failed rallies. That's beating on the psychology of investors, number one. Number two, $10 million in cash today generates $510,000 a year in treasuries, in one, you know, one year treasuries. Wow. Okay, think about that. A year ago, you're talking, this was $70,000. This is such a great point, and this is why I tend to agree with Larry. Um, if you've been in the market for the last two years, you're flat to down, okay? Uh, and that psychology does work on you. Uh, you start to wonder if it's going to come back up and when. But to his point, if you take $10 million and you buy one-year treasuries, they're paying over 5%. So what's generally considered risk-free, which I don't, agree necessarily that U.S. Treasuries are risk-free, but most investment people think of that as risk-free money today. That If you buy U.S. Treasuries, certainly one-year or six-month Treasuries, um, you, those are fairly risk-free, okay? Uh, but if you had $10 million, that's going to throw off $500,000 a year. And what he's saying is just... Just a year and a half ago or so, that same amount of money in, in one-year treasuries would only make about $70,000. So this is luring lots of people, lots of smart money away from the stock market. And you just have to, you just have to know that that's probably happening. Maria. Elaine Gazzarelli in the 80s, right? And, and you were probably too young for this, right? I remember Elaine Gazzarelli. No, no, I remember. She was a real you know, long-time bull. Well, she was a long-time bull. But you know what flipped her is her model. She had this risk-free model versus equities. And it made her so famous because in the summer of 2007, the risk-free rate up went up so much, she flipped to bearish because of that risk-free rate 
threat to equities. I'm seeing a similar dynamic now. Another an incredible stat is twos, tens are 100 basis points inverted. So that means the two-year treasury is 100 basis points more than tens. That's threatening. But then on top of that, you look at the underperformance of the regional banks. So your regional banks are your classic canary in the coal mine. They're underperforming the S&P by like six, seven, eight percent over the last six, nine months a year. So the regional banks are telling you something really bad is happening under the surface in commercial real estate, auto loans, residential. There's really massive cracks under the surface. And that's why the market probably goes down 10, 20 percent, maybe 30 percent the next six it's really hard for me to convey just how important credit is to the economy that we now live in. It hasn't always been that way, but it's become that way. And uh, things just can really slow down. I mean, um, if, if, things, if credit cannot be extended, um, you know, you, the economy can really slow down and it could... It could affect your job. It could affect, um, you know, he talks about commercial real estate. There is bill, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of commercial real estate development in this country. It's all tied to interest rates. Um, you could have a wave of defaults in that. I mean, people, what happens is the longer the, the bull market runs, and aside from the, the the little blip down we had in um, you know in COVID in 2020, it wasn't a little blip. It was 38 percent, but it only lasted like 30 days. So, you know that's that's nothing compared to going all the way back to uh, the March 2009 low. So, when you have a, a bull market that's that long, that's run that long, there's a lot of risk taking that that happens and it it's cumulative right i mean the more you the more money you make and the more risk you take um you know that there's a feedback loop on that you end up taking more risk and making more money and next thing you know you're leveraged 100 to 1 but your your income is really high right well your income is only high to the extent you can cash flow uh the payments for all the debt you owe and we're just getting into a like a perfect storm where all that is going to be very difficult. And uh, it's going to have an effect on the stock market. This may not be the move down. I just, to me, today's move was pretty violent. I mean, we, we gapped up this morning. Well, we didn't really gap up. We opened slightly up and then ran up really hard this morning and turned around and sold off the gains in pretty short order. And then, I mean, from high to low, the market sold off like 112 points on the S&P 500. That is a huge reversal. That's a huge range day. And you just don't see things like that in, in a normal market. Okay, so there's definitely uh, some large positioning that's happening in the market. And you can be on the wrong side of that and lose a lot of money, lose a lot of your savings. Where do you hide away from gold? Is that it? I mean, gold is a hedge. You, you say buy the gold miners in the stock market. Are there any other areas to hide within the stock market if, in fact, these predictions are right, that we're going to see a stock market crash within 60 days? 
Okay, one of the things we're looking at is from from 2001 to 2003, four. I was on the Lehman trading floor in that period. And when you went around the trading floor after the after the dot com crash, the most popular investment was European global equities. And if you look at a chart, Adam can pull this up for you later. But if you look at a chart of the global equities X US, okay, global equities um, X United States versus the NASDAQ versus the S&P, you're breaking a multi-year down channel. You're talking about 10, 15 years of massive outperformance from the United States. Now, for the first time, you're seeing spectacular outperformance from global equities, MSCI XUS, which we would say. That is where the outperformance is going to be. Well, I mean, look, okay. What you're saying is that U.S. stocks sell off and Europe doesn't. I have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that. That in fact, if the U.S. sells off, we get a stock market crash. The rest of the world doesn't follow. And that MSCI index is loaded with Chinese stocks. So there's that issue as well. The China threat. I don't disagree with some of these plays, but you have to remember these professional money managers have to be invested all the time. And I think in a in a potentially big bear market, they're going to come get everything. Okay, it doesn't matter if you're diversified or well positioned or whatever. They're coming for everything. And that's just the way these things are. And so to the extent you can protect yourself, your family, your savings by considering a strategy that just has you stepping aside for a little while, um I think that's uh, probably the right thing. Well, I, the right thing to do is 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 the right thing for you to do. Um, the thing about it is, is there is no right thing to do. It's what helps you sleep at night and helps you protect your savings. That's the right thing to do for you. But um, just recognize that we have $31 trillion in debt. And the U.S. government is going to have to... Um, pay for that debt in, in in an increasing interest rate environment. So right now, I think the, the interest on the debt is about $700 billion a year, and it's on its way to a trillion. And then at some point, it's going to be $2 trillion. And at some point, it'll be $3 trillion. And one day, we'll wake up, and it'll be the largest line item in the budget, interest on the debt. Yes, uh, the EWU, well, first of all, you're 100% right. In the initial drawdown, the European equities will, will, will underperform with the U.S., but they'll outperform the U.S. over the next two years. Okay. The EWU portfolio is a golden portfolio of value global equities, EWU. It's, it's referenced as the United Kingdom, but it's really, it's a Hall of Fame basket of like global value equities. Yeah. That's, I think, that hard asset basket, that's the basket that's going to outperform um, what we call financial assets in the United States, so okay. growth stocks. So he kind of just said what I said, is that in the initial phase, this EWU and the MSCI, they'll go down too, just like um, just like uh, the overall stock market will. But he's saying that, that the overall stock market won't rally real hard, but some of these other stocks will, this EWU and the MSCI. And he's probably right. I mean, at some point, the dollar is going to have an effect. We've talked about this before. And the reason, the reason um, I don't think, uh, 
or I think whatever sell-off we have is going to affect the entire world is because all the world, the whole world is tied to the dollar. Um, it's just the way it works. And so it's really hard to, if we, if the U S has a really big recession or even a depression, it's going to be really difficult for the rest of the world to escape that. Now they will in some ways, especially if Russia and China and Saudi Arabia can trade outside the U S dollar, uh, in this digital yuan or whatever, but we just don't know how that's all going to play out. All you can do is kind of watch your eggs in your basket and make sure somebody doesn't steal them. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really the point of this show today. So, uh, well, look, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. I've been talking for a while and I'm tired and I'm starting to kind of feel stuffy, probably sound that way too, now that I'm thinking about it. And, um, but I want to thank you for coming in and listening. I hope this helps a little bit. Um, you know, if you can, if you can avoid these big bear markets and it's easier said than done. Okay. I'm not trying to make it sound easy, but if you can avoid a 38% sell-off, a 55% sell-off, a 75% sell-off, you're, you're going to go a long way to preserving your money and making good money in the long run. Now, some people say to me, Seth, that could never happen. I'm just going to tell you that, um, Anything is possible in the market, anything, especially when you have fiat money and as much credit as, as we've created, as the federal government has created in these financial markets. And you also have to remember, I want to say one more thing. There's a lot of um, what Jeff Dice calls moneyness in our economy. There's things that kind of trade as money that aren't really money. And the Fed really doesn't have a big handle on that. They really don't know how much of that is, is going on. And so, you know, to the extent that a lot of that goes away or some of that goes away, that can be extremely deflationary. So there's some, there's some real unknowns here that, that uh, most people aren't thinking about. And again, you just, just have to be careful. Watch your eggs uh, and make sure they don't take them because, these market guys, man, once they start grabbing, you know, once they start selling, boy, they sell fast. And you just need to be ready uh, to take action in case uh, something like that comes upon us. All right. Well, thanks for coming in. Uh, enjoyed talking to you uh, this evening. I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, come back, you know, come back and listen again. Share the show. Uh, but obviously, the most important thing is come back, come back and listen. And if you do, I'll be here tomorrow to do it all over again. <laughs>